0: This episode of The Sporting Spirit is brought to you by our listeners who support us on patreon.com slash thesportingspiritpodcast. As we're an independent podcast without any major sponsors, we are reliant on any help that you are capable of giving, whether it's by just contributing five euros a month or even if it's by sharing the link of this podcast to colleagues, friends or family. As always, peace and love
1: welcome back to this week's episode of the sporting spirit i am as usual back with my co-host carl all the way from sweden and midnight recordings has become something of a regular occurrence now for myself i quite like it actually it's quite quiet and yeah what are you carl how how's uh how's, how's everything going
0: yeah it's pretty good for me and as you said like these uh, yeah. and for me in the afternoon but you in the midnight recordings another change that you will probably like see later in the episode is that i'm actually like participating in the interview this episode
1: wow that's a that's a big comeback
0: yeah the big man big himself
1: comeback. and let's let's talk about some of the big issues that have cropped up this week and, and carl what have you got for us
0: well, so this week we're gonna do something that we both enjoy and do a lot, and that is to talk shit about FIFA. <laughs> uh, That's because, it. Because uh, the end of last year in December, uh, they announced that, as we all know, the Qatar is gonna host the World Cup in uh, 2022, and there's been uh, some concerns about uh, the rights for LGBTQ community to uh, enjoy the event and they will be treated on an equal basis when they. Uh, visit the country and now fifa have announced that they will be able to they will be treated equally and to show some sort of manifestation all the corner flags are going to be used uh, by the pride flag uh, during the whole tournament uh, which could be seen as like a good sign but it doesn't take away the fact that uh, homosexuality is still illegal in qatar it, during the tournament and also after the tournament it's between one to three years in prison if you get caught or like for sodomy which for me is crazy and double standards by fifa
1: yeah i think it's yeah i mean we we talk about sport washing whether it's you know to do with the environment um where it's to social issues and here again it's another thing that we've talked about often right um these acts of tokenism um, that you know is pretty much limited to a one-off tournament um, to kind of clean the slate or you know basically paint a country in a certain way as you mentioned Qatar is a very conservative Islamic country and we we respect that and I think it is seen as a a really progressive step right to have as you mentioned I think it was rainbow flags on the corner you know for the corner flags to, to welcome supporters of whatever sexuality into the stadiums and, you know, into the tournament. And that's all fine and well for whatever it is, four to six weeks. We saw this at the 2018 um, World Cup in Russia as well. Um, And for me anyway, it seemed like, you know, the longer the tournament went on and especially post-tournament, people don't talk about that much anymore because, you know, everyone has had a good time. Everyone remembers, you know, the big players, the big events, the big goals, whatever it is, but, you know, the, the issues that were in the beginning, Uh, A big thing at the end, it goes under the carpet. So I'm 100% sure this will be the case in Qatar again. And I don't think I'm the only one to think this way. For instance, um, taking this quote out from a guy called Chris Poweros, who is a member of the the English Football Association's Inclusion Advisory Board. Um, And he says, quote, It's great for us to be able to go and put our flags up in the stadium. And that's a wonderful thing during a World Cup. You want it to be a festival football, but ultimately, we do this work because we want to make sure that everybody can be free to be who they are. And if you're a Qatari and you're not able to, then it just feels like window dressing, um, end quote. And thing is, you know, obviously, you know, we're here talking about these progressive ideals in a very conservative country, but still, though, I think I think it just it just feels like the same old story.
0: Yeah, I just think it's double standards by FIFA to say. We support LGBTQ community, but at the same time, they pick a host nation that where it's illegal, and where they can't live free. It's kind of like, uh, just to give an example, it's like, oh, we support uh, the black community or like we, we don't stand for racism. But at the same time, we will like give South Africa when they had apartheid different events. For me, that's the same thing.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I think we talked about this, you know, like um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, with Dr. J. Krieger, right? Um, during our coverage of the Modern Olympic Games, and we talked about how countries boycotted games because they believed in certain, you know, their, their principles, you know, and they stood for something. And therefore, they couldn't attend the games held in countries which they didn't um, agree with in terms of, you know, the, um, the views and the laws that promoted racism or discrimination. And it's the same here again. I think, I don't know, I think my personal view is that a lot of people actually, they just don't seem too fussed about it, you know? it seems like it's just another topic. It's like, okay, yeah, whatever. So what, you know, if, if, if you know, this is the situation in Qatar, you know, as long as the games, I'm um, going fine, you know, as long as um, the next World Cup, whatever, you know. For some reason, I feel like people think that it's important to have this World Cup in Qatar, to have it in a conservative society, to show that, okay, it, it can be a different tournament in a dif- different country and yet still a good one. But I don't really buy into that. I think, yeah. you know, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be an organization that champions certain principles and ideals, especially to be of equality, then you've got to show for it in terms of the host countries. It, that's my personal view. You can't have it both ways.
0: I think my personal opinion here is I'm just speaking for myself here. I, maybe some listeners out there are not agreeing with me, but I'm a strong believer in on um, exclusion instead of inclusion. If you want to change, for example, with South Africa, it was definitely, it wasn't all of it, but one part, why it changed was the exclusion from different events. You could see also now with just the name changing of teams like the Washington, Redskins, when they changed their name, people have been on about it for so long time, but it wasn't until they got excluded from the market when they finally took actions. If Qatar get excluded from all these different events, like we're not inviting you until you change, then they will think because it's too much money, they will lose by not changing it, I feel like. That's just my own personal opinion.
1: Yeah, to an extent I agree with what you're saying and I think it's, I know, I just, to be honest, you know, we expect these things from FIFA, from, you know, whatever it is, the IOC, from World Athletics, it's not like it's anything new. It's just that it just gives us more ammunition, right? Um, Every time they come up with, you know, these clever ideas of, oh yeah, you know, let's put some corner flags and paint them in a rainbow and say, hey, you know, we support, you know what I mean, the LGBT plus community. It's gonna be great, you know. Everyone can go to Qatar. It's just, it's just a bit phony, and that's the thing which doesn't sit well with me. I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna have um, a workup in Qatar, then, then just forget about it. Why, why, why even bother? Then you know, I don't, I don't think it helps anything personally. Um, and I, I don't think the LGBTQ plus community are happy with it either. So, but that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think it's been a bit of a run, right? The intro so far. Um, so, yeah. before we get into it too deep, um, let's let's move on to the main segment of this week's episode, which is of course the interview this week, we're absolutely delighted. And I say that every week, but this week we've got um, a really cool pair of guests. And the reason why it's special is because they come from Southeast Asia and they are our first guests actually from, from, from East Asia. Um, they are both colleagues at an organization called Ganesport um, based in Indonesia. I don't want to give too much away. So, Without much further ado,
0: let's get to it.
1: And on this week's episode, we welcome on to our show Amal Ganesha as well as Renata Putri of the sport for development NGO Ganesport based in Indonesia. Just for a bit of background knowledge, um, Amal is the Board of Directors Chairman of Sport Foundation, and he's got a background in economics from um, the University of Indonesia. Following that, he obtained a Master's Degree in Sport Management at Coventry University in the UK. His professional experiences include working at Manchester City Football Academy, as well as the Brand Activation Head at Bali United FC back home in Indonesia. Renata, on the other hand, is Sports Research Associate and Policy Analyst. Her main research interests are primarily about the intersection of politics and the governance of sports. She holds a degree in health and PE from State University of Surabaya and East Java, as well as a master's degree in uh, international sport development and politics at the German Sports University in Cologne. Renat and Amal, uh, selamat sore. Welcome onto our show. Hi. Just to begin with, um, maybe um, Amal, can you tell us a bit about Ghana's sport and, uh, and what... Yeah, what, what it's about. Ganesport is a, a sport organization. So
2: at first I established the organization just because I was fascinated and actually a bit shocked with how uh, the nonprofit sector or charity organizations run in the United Kingdom back in 2013 to fifteen when I was studying there for master's degree in sport uh actually uh i never expected that the Ganes- sport is uh becoming as it is today because it was just okay i want to have a foundation or charity organization like that in the uk and then i i imagine or i agree with myself that this this is going to be uh, a shared uh, value or shared subject of my expertise in sport and charity. So then that, then there here is the Ghanaian sport. So at first, I just wanted to contribute to sport development and sport for development in Indonesia. So it remains until now, I guess, the foundation.
1: <laughs> that sounds very interesting already to begin with. And Renata, can you tell us a bit perhaps about um, how this idea came from in terms of the role of mass sport in Indonesia?
3: Well, the role of mass sports in Indonesia, actually, um, back in my thesis years, I kind of touched a bit about the historical path in in the development of mass, mass sport in Indonesia. So if you like to uh, if you don't mind, we're kind of like I'm touching a little bit historical lessons here. I hope it's not boring. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. So, initially, the first president was using mass sport as a movement to, you know, combating the colonialists, um, the Dutch colonialists back then. And then the first president also using Asian Games in 62. to actually showing the world that we actually are legitimate. Um, countries. It's also like the first president who actually like enables sports in Indonesia to to actually to, to gather around and make a federation. So it was really kind of, yeah. Uh, most colonialist, uh, like post-colonialist countries are kind of moving in the same wave that, you know, sports becoming the sport nation building strategy or something like that. And then they make this national sports week. The pekan olahraga National. It's it's still ongoing until today. It's also like becoming the legacy from from the beginning of this country, and then the second president also like kind of paved the way to to like industri- industry in in general in in Indonesia because you know well yeah he even touted as like the development father of the country so yeah he drove the country to like kind of in western style economics so he has a lot of uh, foreign investment back then and then it's also like kind of um he poured considerable amount of money to the community to build sports facilities so actually the second president also like kind of making Made it mandatory for the government institutions to have this Friday, like healthy Friday day or something healthy day on every Friday until today, where everyone was gathering, um, and then like they they're doing this physical exercise. Amal, um, do you remember this enam kesegaran jasmani? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, like during started. my school. Yeah, yeah, my school too. I don't know if you ever heard that. Um,
2: every Friday, I remember.
3: Yeah, yeah. So um it's actually uh it began when the second president so he paved the way he made it mandatory because because you know the second president is like kind of authoritarian president so you when say like let's let's do this for for um community to do exercise together or something like that so they made it mandatory every one or two years they make uh like kind of the same physical exercise like It's actually the same movement, but in different sequence, but they've been updating the beat to the music, something like that. And then it's also like uh, the historians also believe that the culture of Independence Day every August 17th, Mm -hmm. uh, we have this kind of community, a small scale community competition, like... uh, uh, every neighborhood or every village, they make a small competition like football competition, volleyball competition and table tennis competition and badminton. So when you come to Indonesia, it's easy for you to actually spot a court, which actually like multi-purpose court that you can play um, volleyball, badminton, because, you know, you just draw more lines in the courts and then you can easily spot spot Table tennis in every like kind of neighborhood center something like that. Um, it's also, It's actually a bit ironical because Indonesia, as in the world in general, uh, football is kind of the most popular, of course. But it's it's a bit uh, difficult for us to actually spot football field. I remember Amal was was working with the Ministry of what is that a planning body or something like that. He found out that. I'm a fan of that it's only like few communities who like who has this football Mm. field football pitch or something like that so it's really hard so it's actually (laughs) when we're talking about football dream like China have like you know the World Cup Mm. dreams it's a bit it's a bit a lot like it's a long long way for Indonesia to reach that kind of football dream because it's it's yeah, people can play football on the street, but they're kind of difficult to play football on the pitch. It's yeah. easier for you to find people or families who play badminton outside their house, for you to spot people playing te- uh, table tennis. Yeah. But in Indonesia, sports is more of a privilege rather than of rights. Because, you know, maybe it's because the economic background of this country that the economic gap is really like it's huge. Maybe we're now moving into the G20 countries, but you know what is happening in, in real life, it's not necessarily represents what is on the paper. So people in Indonesia, they're like preferred to go about their life, you know, paying paycheck to paycheck, or maybe some families, like many families who is living day by day, like sometimes they have to think like, what should we eat for today? So you know, sport is still seen as a privilege in Indonesia rather than, you know, everyone should play sports. Sports Sport is human Uh, right. It's a bit hard to actually discuss these sports as a human right in Indonesia, at least for now.
1: Yeah, I think there's so many interesting points you made there. And um, yeah, the last one, especially the fact that, you know, um, sport comes very low in the list of important things to do for Indonesian people. In a lot of Southeast Asian countries, perhaps, apart from Singapore, it's, it's similar as well. So, um, I think the work that you guys yeah. do is even more important than in terms of promoting mass sport participation. But I think Carl's got a got a question on that. Yeah,
0: I just have a follow up question there because you talked about sports is more as a privilege. But what's the role of sports by the people? Like, it's still popular to watch sports. Like, it's still sports like a big part of life as well. Even though they're not playing sports, they they still think sports is important in life.
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm also
0: so. Um,
2: I agree with Renata that sports here is still privilege, not rights. Uh, uh, regarding Carl's question about how do we play sport, whether it is popular or not, uh, unfortunately in my view, uh, sport is, has not become a culture here, based on my observation that, I don't know, I, I I think that our sport participation rate is low compared to other countries in the region. Uh, I, I I still feel that People do not see sport as a lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, it is the different view if compared to maybe people in developed countries where they spend a lot in sports. They go to the gym, etc. They they see sport as a part of their health, mm. but not in Indonesia. We are far from that. I I we the the, the especially the government, the policymakers in sport here see sport as a medal success so we very highly you know too much on uh, elite sport yeah. everyone here yeah that is that is what actually Ghana sport stands for we we want to push uh, the policy makers the government and the people uh, to be aware of uh, grassroots sports more because sport can actually give lots of benefits in social dimension, like spirituality, like well-being, productivity. Even I, I read uh, some studies that there is a strong correlation between physical activity and economic growth, and that was that is something that we want to push. So yeah, basically, people here uh, see sport as medal success, and when you ask me about maybe how they participate in sport, it's quite good in some sports like football badminton but you know when the government establish the minister of sport and they don't see uh, the needs of the its citizens to play football for example they they don't spend uh, uh, money public money for for public sport facilities instead they spend heavily very heavily on on madal on on uh, elite sports so i see that gap is the problem in indonesia so we Indonesians do not do not feel that right, particularly
1: participate to play sports in general. Interesting point again, and I think um, it links in perfectly into what I want to ask next, which is you know, Ganesh, sports' role in this in this matter, right? Because Renata talked about previously about the history of mass sports, um, starting from um, the second president Suharto's reign, you know, and there is a history of mass participation, of doing certain things in physical education. But then at the same time, Amal, you know, talk brings us to today where the focus is still very much on elite sport, on, on getting medals, on achieving, um, you know, elite success. What are some of Ghana's sport's main objectives then in terms of um, the role it plays in the promotion of grassroots, sport for development, um, mass sport in Indonesia?
2: Um, we want to make the people aware that there is some certain important dimensions of sports that they maybe not just being educated or taught or informed so i know this thing even after i i, I go to see so if if i not went to school for muscle sport management maybe i i also have the same has the same perspective with them mm. so it need to be it needs to be educated and and uh, thought so that that's why from the first time uh we established this going kind of sport our positioning especially the foundation we want to promote grassroots sport because it, this is what is lacking in my field so maybe in terms of Renata said about uh, president suharto encourage people every Friday to do uh, gymnastic exercise something like that maybe it's 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 a kind of uh the form of how government uh, push the people to, to do sports. But compared to what, um, what is practiced in developed in, in countries, at least in the UK, is far, far away from what uh, Suharto has done. Especially maybe, for example, we don't have any adequate uh, ed- or proper public sport facilities. That can attract people, yeah. because if the public sport facilities is not good enough, it's not proper enough, the people are lazy to come to there. So, yeah, something that's some a, a thing that that simple like that is is not really a concern or is not really prioritized by by our government. Oh
3: mm-hmm. yeah. So if I may add, actually, so one of the researcher that stated this this. Um, like mass sports or community sports policy that Suharto enables back then is actually like some kind of um, the embodiment of what is that called like you know he he runs an authoritarian regime so he wants to to make the regime seems good so he made this all this yeah we're good government actually showing that we're we're good we're we're having this authoritarian Regime, but you know we still like kind of push people to do sports something like that. But it's not necessarily um, making everyone doing sports because you know it's there. This economic gap it has been like from the beginning until today. And then um, when I agree joining uh, Ghana sport, what I've seen is not. It's not like we're marching into the abolishment of elite sport, abolishment of Olympic movement. It will be like too radical for us to move. But um, actually, to balance the discourse in, in, in the national level, at least, I mean, we're kind of trying to knock at the door and say, like, hey, you know, you can always say that, yeah, yeah, we should make people all healthy because we want medals. Yeah, yeah, you ha- we have to have a good physical education curriculum because we want, you- we want to have medals because back like earlier this year, I, 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 I had a brief privilege to attend to one of the public consultation that they, they already made this grand design like, of national sports and then there I made some professors that I really admire like, I really admired them because they're really committed to actually move forward with this sports education. But when, when we started to actually having a critical discussion about this grand design, you know uh, the, the office like immediately shut us down like you know you can we just go where the strategy you can actually uh, support the government aim about this medal in olympics rather than criticizing our our grand design because in the lead sport you we can already see like how many medals that we aim for the next olympics can you just like uh, give us strategy, how sports education, how physical education contributing to giving medals, again, medals. So I don't know, in sports science, I'm, I'm not really a sports science person, but I know that there is this pyramid, you know, like uh, mass sports and then the elite sport at, at the top. In Indonesia, they always see that, you know, how to make schools have this rock climbing facilities so can we can have more medals in rock climbing because you know in Asian Games, we mm-hmm. made a lot of medals in rock climbing. Or maybe how can we push most more schools to have swimming pools so we can have more medals for swimming pool so they're not really uh, Focusing on how to be a really good curriculum so that physical education not like of become the second tire. Subjects, you know, I think in in the United Kingdom there's also a case that uh, physical education class is being shrinked into like kind of twelve percent or something like that. So it's happening everywhere. So we started to actually discussing that thing, and then the officers like immediately shut us down. Like, can you can you tell us about uh, tell, tell us more about how can you support us to get more medal? Okay, that's how actually I believe in the in this foundation vision because. We want to balance things out. We have to make people move so that we can get more medals.
0: Just a follow-up question on that, like, so what is the response from the people like from the, from the kids that are in the programs that are in, as I said, like the, the politicians might be a little bit iffy about the response, but what is the, the response to your foundation from, from the people?
2: I again some positive responses and we we actually been supported by many people. I mean, just a simple support that your foundation is cool, keep going. I'm admired by your movement, blah blah blah. So, yeah, something those those uh, those voices uh, we receive pretty well, but I'm still seeing that people really need to be educated about this uh, particular subject uh, mass mass sport participation or grassroots or community sports uh, actually is is seeing the sport as your uh, rights you know, as as your uh, something that need to be attached to to the society so uh, i'm still seeing that this this course or these subjects need to be educated and informed and we are not really that strong to to give them this, this education because uh, for your information in Indonesia, ironically, there is no study program in, at universities here about sport in social science. So sports education here mainly about sports science. There is no sport management. There is no sport policy, sport development at universities. So I'm... I guess that this is the one critical thing that I uh, that I always want to push that I want to tell the government we have been lacking one piece of subject here the social science uh dimension in sport you should provide yeah I'm still I'm still seeing that
3: yeah in in terms of educating people about what is what is the like role of sports beyond the medal achievement something like that because even even when I talk like I think I talk a lot with the academics in, in Indonesia. So whenever we talk about um, grassroots sports, uh, we really have to kind of explain more because, you know, in sports science, there is also like grassroots term, which actually like relating to elite elite athletes in like kind of 10 to 12 years old, something like that. But But in social dimension, you relate to this grassroots sports, which means like people in general who don't do sports as an elite athlete. So even whenever I, I talk about sports for development, this this organization, I, I study sports for development, they were like immediately resort to, oh, sports de- sport development. So you know how to make football get like get the t- get the title for FIFA, no, that's sports development, this is sports mm. for development, so he, yeah, yeah, I see I really see we need to push more like push stronger for a kind of educating the society what is the role of sports beyond this metal bubble thing
1: yeah you know, no I, I i don't I don't think that that problem is limited to just Indonesia or Southeast Asia or. The global south. I think it's a, it's a, it's a worldwide phenomenon. You, know? you say the word sport for development, most people think, are you going to become a coach, a trainer, or, you know what I mean? Like, you, you immediately think about how to develop sports in a way that it reaches the elite level to win things, you know, um, whether it's financially or, you know, medal wise. So I do think, um, yeah, there, there needs to be a lot of education there. Um, but just linking into um, what both of you spoke about. So we, we've spoken about the foundations of Ghanaian sport already we want to speak now about some of the most specific programs that you run. So what 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 are the programs that you run and where do you run it in Indonesia?
2: The foundation itself now has two, I would say, our flagship programs, but it's, it's still really humble. I mean, the funding we get, it's not that big like other NGOs. So, but it's pretty good for, for the start. So our two main programs is, we call it, uh, berbagi bola, berbagi bola is Indonesian mm. uh, terms. In English called uh, sharing balls. Mm. So basically just sharing balls to for free to the community. And the second one is uh, program sejuta pelatih. In English means uh, one million coaches program. So basically that is that is uh, those are uh, our uh, our flagship programs that is intended to to be executed in long-term, not just for one year to you, but I want I want to see it to be executed in, in long-term, especially for the uh, coaches. So uh, I, I can tell you that we've been lacking as well in the, uh, uh, you know, high, high maybe world-class quality coaches, sport coaches, for example, in football, we only have very limited uh, uh football coaches here with international license like efc blah 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 if you compare to malaysia i i'm uh, ever informed that uh, the ratio or the, the percentage is very very low compared mm-hmm. to malaysia if uh, uh, and and let alone japan yeah. so comparing to japan was, and spain for example uh, the b license football coach uh, around mm-hmm. Twelve, uh, twelve thousands. So it is. While our international license, sports footballers, I I was told around only hundreds, only two two hundred something. So, so I can see that this is this is one thing that should be um, boosted. So so yeah. So actually, uh, those two uh, are still uh, our main main
1: programs. So they so they are sort of the. There are programs programs are very football focused still. Um, but yeah, because I, we are all football fans. <laughs> sure. But what I uh, think, I think what I think what probably we want to know as well is what what are what are the demographics of, of people that you work with? Are they young kids? What kind of background they're from? And you know, what I mean, like where where are these kids that you work with from, or if they are kids, I'm assuming they're kids. But oh, you mean the football players? Yeah. So the programs that you run, you said the two programs, the Share the Ball program uh-huh. as well as the the, the coaching program.
2: Yeah yeah good questions actually our our shared balls sharing balls program we want to address that uh, we want to assure that that balls uh, come more to to the kids mm. rather than the adult playing okay. football so okay. or playing other sports so we want to uh, educate or we want to stimulate actually stimulate the kids to play more uh, with sports so then we can get uh, we can get the next generation to live with sports as a habit. Yeah. So we want to make it as a culture. So, yeah, and then uh, there is also one program that actually it's a pilot. We want to give a coaching clinic. Uh, we want to, you know, if there is a small football club or the, uh, that, that is not already uh, wealth, wealthy enough or they are struggling with finance, etc. cetera, we want to uh, help them mm-hmm. maybe we want to give consultation we want to provide some sorts of coaching clinic to the to the to the local uh, local residents there that, that can be a, a, the future coach and then yeah, yeah so if you ask me about the demographic demographic background we really want to to focus on the the youth Hmm. rather than
0: the adult. so how does it look get more specific like is it mostly boys or is it girls as well like
2: unfortunately uh, in indonesia i think sports is still more popular for for the for the men and the boys yeah. so yeah unfortunately we've been now i think we we have we we've not yet touched the 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 girls or the women side but in in my mind it's always is always there. So I don't
1: know when, but but yeah, still seeing I think it's really interesting to, to hear about the programs that you run. And I guess during this time, as you said before, you, you have some funding problems. Um I think especially during the pandemic as well, for everyone in sport for development, it's difficult, no, to to implement a new program or to continue an old program. How how has that been so far for programs that you guys run?
2: Particularly the the one that I told you about, coaches one million coaches program. That one must be halted uh, or suspended because, you know, when when I'm thinking about it, uh, okay, I want to execute this, so and then I realize that it will gather a lot of people, and I'm I'm quite uh, unsure about that because we are in the pandemic and then. I, I judge myself as if I, if I execute this program, maybe I'm not responsible. Uh, whereas uh, in the past, I always talk about social responsibility and then you know, it will hit me. So coaches program in particular is now is, is halted because I'm afraid to gather people. And then for the sharing balls, actually it's the same. We are afraid to make people gather So it's difficult for us for the foundation side
3: yeah i mean in in the whatsapp group we we thought that webinars is no longer effective anymore you know people coming just to actually getting the certificate because you know at least in indonesian systems you need to get more certificates for you to actually like raising up the ranks in your company or maybe as a student you need you know certificates for like to be graduated something like that. So webinars, well, you know, I'm always saying, you remember in the groups, yeah, yeah, you would be giving, like giving the training materials through webinars, people were just like, you know, online and then, hey, can I sign, can I sign the uh, attendance list or something like that so I can get the certificate? It's, it won't be so effective anymore, at least for the pandemic. And we still haven't got any idea when when we can start uh, and I, I don't coaching.
2: believe that coaching certifications or coaching online courses
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: courses will will be effective effectively delivered online so i think it needs to gather people uh by person or offline
3: even even the programs you know currently in indonesia there's also like a program from giz it's like the last year of their programs i mean I guess it, it's the third year, or so. They've been also managing sports for sport development trainings for the teachers through webinars. But you know, webinars are webinars. Sometimes we talk more than people listen to us. So yeah, I don't think it's also like delivering good impact, let alone uh, training coaches with extra extra value about for development. Also, not only about. Um, the critical skills, I mean, the hard skills, uh, coaching hard skills, but we also like trying to uh, put in values about what is sports for development? Can can we talk about sports beyond just the medal or title or something like that? It's going to be challenging for for the um, the foundation arm of this institution.
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, that's, that's a really good point again and it links into my next question. Um, as, as you spoke about some of the maybe the the, the research aspects of, of what you guys do and moving into different directions, you guys presented a study in 2019 um, at the Play the Game conference, I believe in yeah. in Colorado Springs or right, in the U.S. And for our listeners out there, if, I'm I'm sure a lot of you will be scratching your heads over what the play, play the Game is. It's it's an international conference, um, initiative that aims to strengthen the ethical foundation of sport. At this conference, Ganesh Sports said that integrity should be the number one criterion. For, for leadership in uh, in in soccer or football. What do you mean by this?
2: I was the lead researcher of, of, of that project. So after I spread the quest- questioners, qualitative questionnaires to the experts uh, or the to the sources of, of the, the research. So they in absolute numbers uh, perceive that a good leader in a sport organization uh, let's say like uh, football associations should have integrity as the main trait or the main attribute of of, of a good leader so so yeah um, it is basically from 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 the experts uh, the experts consist of uh, 23 experts we considered it experts mostly are uh, academics in in the in the university at the university in europe either sport management or sport governance subjects uh, they say that integrity is the main uh, attribute for good sport leader. It actually uh, correlates with what happened, what just happened in Indonesia in 2018 and 19 with the first, for the first time, the police named 15 suspects in football for match fixing. So 15 is is, is quite a good numbers. It links very directly to that case and then so yeah in that case uh, I will give you the the information that if I'm not wrong around two or three uh, leaders at the Indonesian Football Association were involved they were named suspects for for the match fixing case so it is very very uh, coherent or correlated my research with that Uh, I don't but but I, I, I didn't want to focus focus on those things actually, I, I really wanted to uh, give a solution for the next. Okay, next you, you have to find this leader. So in the past, okay, past is, is the past. So I want to provide the next step for Indonesian football actually. Okay, you, you have to find these leaders with these certain traits. And number one is integrity. And integrity is not, is, is not uh, voiced by me. It, it was voiced by the experts. So, yeah, it, it really correlates with what, with what happened in Indonesia, actually, if you, if you are not uh, well informed about that match fixing.
3: Back when, uh, when we did the research, it's also like kind of a mom- momentum for us because it was like kind of uh, in between. There, there was about a new Congress in the football federation, so they're about to elect new leadership and then and then we, we got this research so we really like we get a great momentum to actually publish the research about that so like not long after we we presented to the mass media like after two or three months after that they have this whole congress thing with like they elected new new what is that oh, new chairman something like that so we actually really Um, kind of in a good time back in early 2000s.
1: I think we we can't only talk about or speak about Indonesia. If we speak about, you know, integrity in football, we talk about match fixing, corruption, all these things. We have to talk about, as you said, um, the confederation, which is the AFC, right? The Asian Football Confederation. And of course, in every football confederation, there has always been threats to its integrity, um, especially the integrity of its leadership, um, we know that particularly where we are from in Southeast Asia, um, gambling is a huge thing, you know, betting on football is a huge thing. What are some of the other challenges apart from, as you mentioned, match fixing and corruption? For instance, I'm, I'm thinking maybe about things like doping. So
3: it wasn't really the case back in, in Indonesia. So mostly in Indonesia, it's a, it's all about corruption. So it's like a kind of huge thing, like kind of a thing in Indonesia, like every space in our society. like about corruption so most cases about integrity issue in Indonesia is related to the governance area so the doping cases it's not really I mean like not a strong case here Mm. for for football Mm. at least at least it's not really happening in the media so we're not really touching the doping things in in, in national level yeah
2: for me I'm I'm also concerning more on corruption. Actually, doping is is part of sport corruption for me. But maybe the corruption such as match fixing, you bribe the referee, you bribe the official, something like that. But I I I I think uh, we fix the behaviors of the leaders first, and then doping comes second because do- doping can happen because of the leadership. Mm. Uh, the, of the bad leadership, so yeah, I think apart from match fixing and corruption, I I, I cannot see other other threats for integrity in football in Indonesia at least. Uh, in my view, the corruption and the match fixing itself could be the major ones. There is quite I don't know. Uh, it's quite a blur because not people really talk about it in 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 the public territory in the media before that's why I said in 2018 and 19 that was the first time this case revealed to the general public and then if you if if you see the the aftermath of that case I cannot see a solid uh, measures or a solid evaluation or a solid uh, action plan or, or or what do you call response. I mean, if you see in the South Korea, for example, in 2011, they had a a big scandal itself with the football corruption, actually the same thing. And then the Minister of Sport, the Minister of Sport of South Korea established uh, something like uh, integrity under the ministry to investigate. Uh, So they are actively solve that solution. But in Indonesia, after that case, I, I I cannot see the same action or maybe just like in the Australia, the in the state of Victoria, the police had the police has a sport integrity intelligence unit. Uh, I mean, a unit especially tasked to find allegation of corruption in sport match fixing. We have not done that. Yeah, Renata, mm. I I I cannot see that we have done those those
3: those measures yeah so i think when when they actually like incarcerated like when those people are going to jail and then that's it i mean the new that's it
2: yeah uh,
1: that's it
3: the new
2: no
1: evaluation, no, yeah. no 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 follow up. There's no like systemic, no kind of, yeah. Systemic kind of um as yeah. you said before, response, you know, to think about the structures and it's it's more like targeted on individuals, right? It's like oh it's your is their fault, yeah. they are the ones that are corrupt, it's not the system that's corrupt. It's a lot easier, I guess, to it makes sense if if you're a sport organization, um, to put the blame on individuals than your structures
3: yeah true so whenever when they all going to prisons and they they like it feels like they suddenly like we're all clean because it's not our institutions it's it's the people and they're in prison already so we're going
2: actually i was i wasn't surprised with that case in 2019 and 18 in football (laughs) Uh, i wasn't surprised because since my undergraduate uh, which means in 2006 until 2011 those news about match fixing in football has had, had been circulated among football fans. So in the grass at the grassroots level, we 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 talk about it, but no one really sure that this is this is true or not until two thousand and nine, oh, and that is true. Whoa! <laughs> so yeah, it's been circulated before for many many years, and and I and I, I even also heard uh it it also impacts or it's also practiced in in other other sports other than football so i'm not i'm not new about that but that is that was the first time uh the the case this the the corruption case in football met to the general public
3: yeah so it's actually the governance issues or maybe the integrity especially the corruption it's actually reflected a lot to Our research for now, we played again the National Sports uh, Governance Observer, and I really hope the report will be published very soon. I really hope. (laughs) So it reflects a lot in there. I mean, you can see like when I I did the research, I tried not to feel like I want to prove this federation is rigged. (laughs) So I don't want to be so biased when I did the research, but it's just reflected naturally in, in the research. I will ensure that you guys will have your hands on that when it's published.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're looking forward to reading that when it comes out. Um, and um, yeah, we'll definitely keep keep all this updated on, on on the status of that as well. Um, but for the moment, I think we've got probably a last big question, and I think Carl has got it for you. In
0: 2032, you're actually having an official bid for the Summer Olympics. And our question is, like, is this feasible for Indonesia to do? Is it necessary for the country? And what's the public consensus to host the, the Summer Olympics in uh, 2032?
3: Um, I don't think, I don't know. I, I'm not saying that I'm going to underestimate my people or something like that. But I don't think there are a lot of conversation about Olympics uh, after the 2018 Asian Games people are really like still caught in the euphoria because you know the opening ceremony was really luxurious it was really fancy I don't think people were like kind of objecting I don't know I'm afraid to say that people are ignorant about the fact that Olympics is not always good yeah it seems great because it looks like a party it looks like really huge it looks like every every single country will come to your uh, your place, but uh, there's not much um, discussion about um, what they don't talk about when they talk about Olympics. I mean, so here in the media, the NOC people and government people, they will always like they are still saying yeah, yeah, it will boost our economy, but actually, there's still like. There's no strong evidence about the economics and Olympics. There's no evidence that when you win a medal and then your country will be a, a sporting nation, that your country will be healthy. Because you know, you see that the United States, they won a lot of medals, they have a lot of funding, but still, obesity, mm. still, they have problems with health, something like that. But it's still about actually uh, the government and the sports people at least in the elite level they're still talking about yeah yeah we should host the games because it will bring a lot of good for us it will boost our economy something like that but so that's why through Ghana Sport and some of some of our movement we started to actually like discussing about this thing uh the future of yeah I told you about this uh, public um, public opinion uh, public discussion about the grand design So the ones who made all this grand design uh, in Indonesia, we actually distinguished sports into three, which is elite sports, sports education and recreation sports. But the ones who made the whole grand design for 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 sports education and recreation sports is the elite sports people. So you, you see that there is like a team of nine people. They're all they're all people who work for the medal table. They were work for the elite elite sport. That's why when they made this kind of sports education plan, they were really linked like directly to the Olympics. How can you? How can schools support hmm. athletes? How can schools find athletes for our twenty thirty two? So I really hope through this podcast, people will hear more that actually we need to talk about Olympics. There's no public consensus, you know, in Hamburg back in 2006, maybe, yeah. There's still, uh, there was this referendum and referendum is not something that we used to do in Indonesia. And then uh, rumor has it, I mean, I still can only say it's a rumor because, you know, I, I only got the information from, from some people in the ministry. They will actually point, um decide Jakarta as the host. But when you talk about Olympics, you talk about you're developing the city, you're developing the country. When you put the games in Jakarta, it will make no sense. I mean, you won't develop anything because it's already developed. Mm. The city is already rich. I mean, and the city is already like full of people. Yeah, and and moving.
2: Full of moving away. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: It kind of also goes into what you referred to earlier about. The government is focusing a lot on elite sport and how can we win medals through sport? And if Indonesia gets the Olympics, I feel like it would be even more focused on winning medals because you're going to host the Olympics and usually the host nation always wants to win as many medals as possible. And that will push away mass sports as well.
3: Yeah,
2: you're right. We
0: spend spend a lot of public money to that
2: medal ambition. And it is a pity for me. (laughs) <laughs> it is, I'm concerning a lot, uh, if you if you talk about uh, hosting a mega, sport mega event, I'm concerning a lot about legacy plan after, after the event. What do you want to do? What do you uh, want to make a legacy or uh, legacy plan? Something like that. So, uh, for example, in the 2018 ASEAN Games, I, I, I cannot see any legacy plan uh, talk. By by those uh, elite uh, sports stakeholders, so they just uh, hold an event and then that's it. They 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 do not see that this event can be a turning point for something that is bigger than the event itself. For example, like I, I heard in the China that uh, after the Olympic Games, people more take take more time for doing sports or. People were, uh, you know, were common in in using public transportation because if you hold the event, you should also to uh, build new public transportations, something like that. So I, I'm concerning about that the legacy plan, and I'm I don't know I, I, I also I cannot see that in 2032 the Indonesian government or the Indonesian sports stakeholders. Will also have that kind of legacy plan,
1: and I think what one thing that is certain is that it is it is an exciting time in Indonesia. Maybe not now in 2021, um, in the midst of you know the peak of the pandemic, but for sport for development, um, you know it, it's it's an exciting time. The stuff that you guys are doing and and so before before we say goodbye, we we wanna we wanna finish on a lighter note because you've spoken so much about your organization Ghana Sport. Um, and in fact doing the research before yeah I, I thought that Ghana Sport had links to um, the Ganefo games uh, which was obviously <laughs> introduced by <laughs> the first president of, of Indonesia but I, I, I think Amal has got a you know um, uh, more accurate answer for us
2: it's <laughs> funny actually I'm quite uh, I'm quite shy to tell this the, the, to tell the truth Ganesh Sport is not is not linked or it's not correlated with Ganefo whatsoever but uh, <laughs> No, it's not. So actually, I'm, I'm, I'm. But I have to tell you the truth. Guinness is actually because it's it was uh, driven firstly by me. So actually, it, it 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 is named after my name. So my <laughs> nickname, Guinness is is my nickname in it at home. Okay. So at the time, I was confused. What foundation? What the name of this foundation? I don't know. Uh, I just I just wanted. I, because actually I just I just wanted to mix sport and the charity mix and char- sport and charity what, what is the name I don't know and then I I, I I thought that maybe it's good to have this name my nickname <laughs> and to make you understand as well that I've I've been really interesting uh in in the subject of brand branding because actually my undergraduate and my master I took to thesis about uh, branding so in, in in marketing management terms so i i thought that it it was good enough to name the charity with something that is not uh you know mainstream
1: okay like yeah
2: you, you can name it indonesia sport foundation yeah sure. but yeah because i i learned i studied about branding it's not good in branding you should have something unique you should. You you should just, your, surname. Wow.
1: your surname always works. No, I mean, I, <laughs> a unique surname always <laughs> works. Always memorable.
2: <laughs> so it was my name.
0: I'm sorry, Renata. it was, it was my name. <laughs> oh, but I yeah. It. It's it so funny though that it's kind of linked because I also got the association To Ganefo as well when I heard <laughs> the name for the first time. No,
3: <laughs> I knew it already when when he met me and then like, uh, when we talk and then yeah yeah I have this. Uh, Sport and then when I when I saw his business card, huh, Amal Ganesa, did he actually name <laughs> it after him?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, before we end, um, again, th- thank you so much, Amal and, and Renata. Um, I think it's yeah, so interesting yeah. to hear about your initiative. I think it's it's really interesting that you have like the practical side, of sport for development. You know where you have these programs um to promote mass sport through football for the youth, and then you also have the you mentioned many times, the research side of it. We wish you all the best. Um, we support your work and yeah, we look forward to hearing about your developments in the near future.
2: Thank you, thank you.
1: So there you have it, the wonderful Amal and Renata from Sport, um, a sport for development and sport policy think tank based in Indonesia. And just before we go into the analysis stuff that we normally do, yeah, I I, I was really, really glad that Carl was back with me in the interviewing process. Uh, it's something which I've definitely missed in the last couple of weeks. So yeah, Carl, how, how, how did you find that?
0: No, it was fun to finally be back and participating in interviews and contributing more to this podcast. So it felt a little rusty in the beginning, a little bit weird, but uh, like after a while, like back into it and warm our clothes. So yeah, it felt good though. So it was a lot of fun. We brought up a lot of different points, but what was your main takeaway from this, John?
1: It's one of our longer episodes for sure. So there's so many things to pick apart. But the one thing I want to say is that just the term both for development is already complex in, in, in the global North and you know in, in most countries that have a very solid base of sport. But in the, in Indonesia, it seems almost not to exist, right? And we, we've learned that from, from Amal and from Amrnata that sport for development is pretty much the last thing on people's minds when they think about sport, because it's still very much focused on the elite part of sport. And so for me personally, I think the takeaway was that, yeah, there needs to be obviously more work done in the region to establish some sort of foundation, first of all, to be able to build on you know, before we can, you know, programs for development, um, you know, um, academic work can be produced and Ghana's sport are that foundational step. I think Um, they play a huge role, a significant role in the region. And yeah, I think, I think that was just, it was really inspirational. I think to, to, to hear about how they're starting that process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Like, I feel like they do great work, but one question that popped up into my head when I re-listened to Uh, the uh, recording and something I wished I would have should have asked them when we had them on is about this view because they talk about so much about the government is focusing so much on elite sport and about winning medals and to bring glory to the country and to on the world stage and my question is then like so is the people as well that as I said have like less resources and live in poverty do they see sport as a ticket out of poverty is that their only way out of this and what is sport for development programs giving them this no it's elite sport that are actually giving them the way and the ticket out of poverty and giving them more a uh, better life if you say so
1: totally i think that's such a good point the social mobility aspect right i think um you know we often think about sport for development programs and and the good that they can do but often we forget that In many parts of the world, sport is still seen as a means of income for people. The term sport migrant, for example, are literally young athletes, individuals that move abroad to sign for academies, for sport clubs in order to make a living, often in order to send money back home or make a life for themselves in that country, right? I guess the challenge is how you can fuse sport for development and this idea of elite sport to make a life for yourself to fuse those two concepts together and, and, and create something where you have a balance of, you know, there should be an option is what I'm saying. It's not either or oh, just recreational sport where we're just playing, you know, with all these principles and stuff. But then, you know, there's no real um, there's no real option to, you know, to yeah. pursue a professional career. But no, on, on, on the other hand, also there shouldn't just be professional sport, you know, where, you know, you're training crazy hours a day in hopes of making this dream you have, but not thinking about all the other the other stuff we talked about you know the the grassroots community level stuff so yeah
0: yeah and that's where like Ghanaian sport is coming into because as we said and they mentioned as well like uh at the moment sport is seen as a privilege in Indonesia which for me is not acceptable because I feel like it's a human right to like do sports and be active because in it is good for you some way to like have physical activity in your life and uh as they said as well, it's too much focus on the elite sports. We neglect a lot of people. Like everybody should get a chance to participate in sport and maybe get that chance. So as you said, it's a mixture of elite sport, but also the more mass sport participation.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. I think um, what you said there was, it's crazy to think that in some areas of the globe, sport is seen as you know uh, a choice. Um, it's not even thought about more than five seconds you know it's 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 whether or not you know you've got the energy to go you know to the gym you know to go to the pool for a swim to go out and play with your friends right whereas in other parts of the world it's literally a privilege right you have to drive for hours you might have to walk for hours you might have to wait in line for a long time just yeah. to get exercise
0: like you don't have the infrastructure there and yeah. you don't have the place you don't have the balls or like True, a lot sure. of things that many people take for uh, pay for uh, yeah. take for granted yeah uh, accessible in, uh, in different areas
1: yeah no I think I think the, the thing is you know I think often it, it sounds a bit of a cliche right we often say oh yeah we should be thankful to have these things in our life the kids you know the classic thing you know growing up their kids in Africa in, in different parts of Asia where you know these kids play 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 on the street or whatever it is you know and it's true that parts of the world do not have the facilities you know to to facilitate an environment where sport can be played by everyone so you know I think it's something which definitely needs to be built on I think Ghana's sport are definitely doing that in Indonesia, if not for the for the Southeast Asian region.
0: It's, yeah, I feel like it's a good, because they work with uh, giving out footballs to give out the, like, the infrastructure, but also like a long-term thing as well with working with the coaches and education, because those are the ones that are going to teach the kids about yeah. the sport and what the value of the sport as well. Yeah. And, as, and I also back this up with research, because they even have a research department uh, to like look up for uh, facts and data and methods and uh, theories to just back up uh, what they're doing.
1: There's such a small NGO foundation uh, with limited funding, the fact that they're able to have both the practical side and the research side just shows, you know, the work ethic, the dedication they have to the cause and the fact that they've also collaborated, you know, with um, Play the game um, with, the, with the reports or the report rather that they're about to come up, about to publish, I think in a few months was to show that, you know, the, the work they do is, is significant and it's taken seriously by international organizations and it's something which I think can be a template for the rest of the global south even the global north as well but certainly in the southeast asian region
0: yeah i don't think i have anything else to add on i think that's a pretty nice wrap up
1: yeah i think that's that's pretty much it for the week and just once more because you know we, we don't often get people from the global south you know and, and from southeast asia which where i'm from right um come on our show So it was an absolute privilege to speak to both Renata and Amal. And uh, we hope to get a lot more diversity in our guests. And we look forward to sharing with you more stories from people um, from all around the world. Peace and love. Peace and love.